welcome everybody to episode 44 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I am back doing the voiceover after Dan did it last week. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is Dan Humphrey. How are you doing, Dan? Hello, hello, hello. I am doing well. How are you doing, Bo? I'm good. I liked your uh, I liked your voiceover. Oh, thank you. For the last podcast. <laughs> so uh, it uh, was very true to form. Uh, we definitely... I was personally was feeling very fatigued about politics, and then we immediately spent an hour and a half talking about politics. Of course, yeah. <laughs> which just left me feeling more fatigued about it. It's nap <laughs> time. So, yeah. yeah, pretty pretty much. And so, uh, uh, yeah. Um, so today, we'll, uh, I, we talked a bit uh, in the run-up. We'll talk. This is arguably less political, but uh, there's been some uh, interesting developments with um just with the vaccine, the COVID vaccine and um, the people who created it and the data behind it and data behind COVID and um, censorship of the, of that stuff and in things. And so that's political because everything's political. Um, but I like to think that uh, in some small way, it's not near as political as a lot of the other stuff we've talked about over the last year. It certainly shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, those who uh, um, dictate truths regarding the vaccine and COVID itself um, are have made themselves highly political. So, both the our current administration, and to a degree, our former the former the Trump administration also did some similar things. Uh, the CDC and the WHO both, um, you know, were hey, they're uh, private organizations that are funded by, you know, donations. So there, there's always going to be a little bit of a lean given by who gives them the, the most amount of money. So that, that's kind of a problem, but. Well, but and yeah, the who a, has, has already proven that they're more than willing to bend over backwards for the Chinese communist party. And we can get more into that if we want to later, but uh, they're, they're definitely biased. That's been proven. Yeah, and I think people have seen that over the last year with both, like just uh, kind of the narratives they're pushing, um, how they don't apologize when their narratives fuck up, um, those kinds of things, and just how they sort of under the brush things under the rug as the as the year has gone by, and um, which unfortunately for people just kind of sows confusion. Yeah. You know, for, for everyday Americans, such as yourself and myself, you know, like, like we've mentioned before, you know, we kind of started this podcast because we're both sort of just blue collar dudes in a blue collar town of blue collar jobs. And I mean, I, I don't know if I technically have a blue collar job anymore, but um, but uh, considering I teach, but uh, maybe that's a blue collar, still considered blue collar. I don't know what that means anymore, but, um, you know, I, yeah, but I, I think that like for people who aren't as plugged in and don't really spend the time, it's like over the whole year, it's like, what the hell, what the hell do you believe? What should yeah. you believe? And, and it's also hard to keep it all in your head because things change after a month or two and, and narratives should change to some degree, right? Like I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of, you know, there were a lot of things that were said that were changed very quickly 
And on some level, people were angry about it. And some people were like, well, you know, like you get new information, things change. Like as an example, I think one of the first things that Dr. Fauci mentioned is that masks are useless or you don't need to wear masks. And then like a week or two later, <laughs> you need to wear masks. And then, you know, and it's like at the at the onset, it's like, OK, that's fine. Like You learn new information and you revise it, you know. Well, that example and, in particular is a bit spurious on Fauci's no, part. Just no, it is. And that's a, why, yeah. yeah. And that's that's partly why I brought it up. But because over time you, you, you come to see that, like, it's not clear that masks are actually effective, um, you know, and maybe the narrative that's being pushed on that front is actually um, just simply th there's a credible argument. I think that it's simply social engineering, you know, comply with us or else that sort of a thing. Um, whether or not that's true is, I don't, I don't know and is irrelevant, but, uh, in my eyes, but, uh, it's very interesting how, how much that's, that sort of stuff gets thrown under the rug and then the narrative gets pushed in another direction and people who have counter narratives, um, even if they're not what I would consider, you know, uh, ideologically bent or bad, they just get, they actually get suppressed completely or just sort of, you know, again, shoved under the rug as well, um, which is partly, I know, something that you had mentioned you were listening to um, regarding yep. uh, um, who, 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 who we typically bring him up because he's, he's always talking about relevant stuff, but regarding Brett Weinstein. Um, yep. And uh, so as I understand it, he, um, so what's the, he did a podcast and then it was banned or it was removed by YouTube. Yeah, he's like, he's getting, from what I understand, a fair bit of pressure now on his YouTube channel. Um, most of the pushback that he's gotten from YouTube, if I understand correctly, is based on the drug called ivermectin. Yep. And him discussing that as a um, potential therapeutic and or uh, preventative or in scientific terms, prophylaxis for COVID-19. Um, and just the mere mention of it gets you in trouble with the all-knowing YouTube. Yeah, their is policy apparently is to not allow someone to discuss ivermectin with a few exceptions. And I think the basic exception is that you have to bring it up or you have to bring up the current vaccines that we actually have as the better alternative. So you have to tell the story we want you to tell if you want to talk about this topic. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's, that's basically where we're at. And what ivermectin is, is it's been around for roughly 40 years. Um, it's been around long enough that it's out of patent. So it, generics are available, not any money to be made off it. Um, that type of thing, but its original intent was as a, um, not an antifungal, but a, a antiparasite, as an mm -hmm. antiparasite treatment. And apparently it's super effective for that. Um, things like um, the uh, river blindness, Bengay fever, stuff like that. Um, some of the real nasties that you can get on the African continent and, and places surrounding. Um, significant impact in those areas. The person that discovered it, if I'm not mistaken, got a Nobel Prize, like big deal, super beneficial, 
awesome medication, been around for four decades. So we know quite a bit about it. It has an outstanding track record for safety mm-hmm. to the point that for antiparasite treatment, it has been in many places given out for free as a preventative. Like, okay, we're in this, you know, whatever area of Africa where let's say river blindness is uh, easy to get or what have you. Uh, so they will uh, preventatively give out this ivermectin to help people from, you know, getting this terrible disease uh, with great effect. So it's super awesome for that. Only makes sense that given a uh, a novel virus that has caused a pandemic that has killed a whole bunch of people and shut down the world economy, blah, 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 super fucking terrible. We want to look at all the options we can find. Let's have a look at ivermectin. Yeah, this seems, seems like reasonable to it's me. Completely reasonable. Uh, so some folks did. Turns out that there is some very strong evidence that it is, in fact, effective. Uh, and given the fact that it has such a long and good safety track record, um, many doctors in other countries, not in the United States, but in other countries, out of effectively desperation, because you know places like you know, Mexico and India are having such a hard time uh, getting the approved vaccines, uh, they're trying ivermectin. It's like, fuck, we got to do yeah. something. People are dying. Uh, this shit is safe. Here, take this. Let's see what happens. You know, obviously a little more forethought than that, but basically um, not a whole lot to lose because we got folks dying uh, with great results. It is, it is shown to be very promising. All the, you know, the studies that I have seen have all been, you know, well over 60% effective. And in places like Mexico and India, could have saved a whole lot of lives that aren't even directly counted because their ICUs did not get overwhelmed. Meaning when, you know, when the pandemic first broke out, that was the big scare was hospitals were getting overrun, which then cascades into a bunch of other problems and people end up dying. So that was kind of the, one of the main things that we were all focusing on is don't let the hospitals get overrun. And it appears from actual data uh, that this, in fact, helped a lot of hospitals not get overrun in these countries. So super effective. How come we're just now hearing about it? Well, mm-hmm. it's politics. Yeah. And the gist of it is a uh, couple things. A, like I mentioned, it's it's out of patent. So there there's no giant profits to be made off this stuff. It's, it's, for a medicine, it's dirt fucking cheap. It's, it's cents per dose, under a dollar. You know, probably depends on where you're at, but under a dollar per dose um, versus you know, hundreds and or thousands of dollars for new stuff that's under patent, right? So there's no financial motivation to sell ivermectin. Generics are available and all that stuff. So that's something to look at. But what I found even more intriguing uh, on this topic was that In the Emergency Use Authorization Act, which is what allowed the vaccines that we have now to come to market so fast, because normally it takes several years of uh, clinical trials, which makes sense, but we're in the middle of a pandemic, we we have an emergency, so we're going to give this emergency use 
emergency use authorization so we can get these pan or these <laughs> excuse me vaccines going to combat this virus. One of the rules for an EUA, emergency use authorization, is that there cannot be another suitable drug available that could be taken. So if there's something else, we can't give you this emergency use, right? If there's yep. absolutely nothing else, then okay, you get an EUA, let's get the vaccine out there. So that's, that's critical. Yeah, critical. Absolutely critical. So that, that brings up an enormous profit motive for the pharmaceutical companies that are developing these vaccines. And I'll reiterate, the vaccines themselves and the science behind them is fucking amazing. So props to the scientists that did all the work. These are awesome vaccines. However, it appears that there is, in fact, um, something that works close to, if not just as well, as the current vaccines, with the exception that you do not get enduring uh, protection. Yes. So with, yeah. with the ivermectin, you got to take it on a regular basis, like once a week. Um, so you have to kind of keep taking it. That's that's the big difference. Vaccine, one and done or two and done, depending on which shot you get. This you got to keep taking. But other than that, it seems to be close to as effective. Uh, effective enough, I might add, that given the amount of money that has been spent on the research for the vaccines and all the rest of that, if even a sliver of that money was put towards producing and supplying ivermectin, which, as I mentioned, is super fucking cheap, we very likely could have already eradicated this virus, if not be very much on our way to doing so. But yeah, dollars got to be made. Pharmaceutical companies have big fat lobbies and they want to protect their profits. Um. And that's yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting problem because if ivermectin is so readily available, and I, you know, you mentioned it, but it it it's, it was it's I think it's still one of the more common drugs right now being used in multiple underdeveloped countries, like third yes. world. What, yep. what I think was formerly referred to as third world countries, um, a lot in South America in particular. I think it's very much used in South America. Yep, and. Apparently the, like the, uh, because as I, under, so maybe I understood this incorrectly, but doesn't it, isn't its primary function to reduce or completely negate the symptoms of COVID, not prevent you from getting it? Or does it actively prevent you from getting it as well? I think both. Okay. Because um, I, I yeah. know that it reduces symptoms. That's what I remember yes. from when I looked into it. Is that it? Um, that that's what stuck with me is that the the symptom reduction was huge. Yeah. Um, and so it, it you had mentioned you know it, the hospitals weren't getting filled up in in a lot of countries, and that was the thing is like people who were taking ivermectin weekly or daily or whatever were basically maybe if they got COVID they they just weren't going they weren't going to the hospital needing to to be intubated and everything and. That's great because at that point, if no one's seen symptoms and there's no problems there, um, that actually reduces the, you know, obviously the deadliness of the virus, which then makes it, you know, 
less of a problem. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's like the flu or something because that that, ter- that term has been overused over the last year. But if all of a sudden you're not people aren't getting sick because the medication's working, then it just becomes about as effective as the flu at that point. Where it's you're just like, okay, some people get sick still, but most everyone is fine. Think of the number of lives that we could have saved in the U.S. alone had we, because this is something that's cheap to manufacture and it's my assumption is already manufactured to some degree in the U.S. already. So there already should have been some supply to roll out just naturally. Imagine how many lives we could have saved immediately. Yeah, absolutely. As soon as we we can't forget about the pharma execs, though, man, they got like boats and houses and shit to pay for. So let's balance that equation a little bit. Grandma was old anyway, you know? Yeah. And that, I mean, that hits particularly home for the two of us because the first major outbreak in the U.S. occurred legitimately for me three miles from my house. Yeah. The um, the first documented outbreak was in Kirkland, Washington at an old folks home. And I actually know where the old folks home is. And I used to work legitimately a block in front of it. Um Oh yeah, dude, I drive by that all the time. I'm, I'm in yeah. Parkland all the time. Yeah, it's super and close so, to home. And it's like I, I know exactly where it is, and you know, I didn't know anyone in there, thankfully, but um, I knew people who did. And uh, it's like, it's like, believe I'm pretty sure I know at least a few people who had uh, relatives there. And and if not, like that's still a local, a local thing. Like you roll out ivermectin in January, once you start seeing them get sick and people because people kind of knew around that time from what i understand with the emails fauci was getting um the emails fauci was sending with people which is a whole other issue mm-hmm. um all those emails that uh, that broke from the um the freedom of information Re- uh, request act uh, act request um it's like you you start trying that out immediately and maybe none of them die yep because the risk is so low with using ivermectin. I mean, the, the side effects that are reported are mild and they go away if you stop taking it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's it's that's on par with like aspirin and Tylenol. It's it yeah. is effectively very fucking safe. So it's you know that that should be one of the first things that was tried as soon as there was any indication that it was effective. Um, but again, yeah, you know, we got vaccines to pay for. Yeah, and so. Now we can go down a whole conspiracy rabbit hole here, but I, I, I would pose a question to you because I'm having a hard time coming up with an answer. Um, what do you think, what reason outside of profit and money would the government have for not pushing something like this that seems to work early on? Outside of profit and money? I don't think yes. there is one. I don't think there needs to be one. I mean, that that is, that's historically one of the biggest drivers. If you add power in there, those are the biggest drivers for human civilizations since forever. Yeah. Um, um, so that's, you know, it's, I wouldn't call it a smoking gun, but it's smoking the distance for sure. Um, it definitely it, raises the question that we're talking about of like, Outside of money, what could that what could have caused it? Because there could just be like an innocuous reason as to why. I don't. I don't. I have no right. idea. Like, I can't think of one. I think. Know, that, I, I think back to the the emergency use authorization the EUA. Um, there is probably a lot of political reasoning behind that as well. In that, if they had to rescind the EUA, or if they promised the EUA to certain people, or 
you know, maybe some very nuanced politics going on there, but I really do think it centers on if there's an alternate treatment, you can't get an EUA. Therefore, we can't acknowledge that ivermectin has potential. I mean, it, think about this. So Merck is the pharmaceutical company that uh, first introduced ivermectin. So it's their drug. And they have given away, if I understand correctly, millions of free doses to different third world countries and places like that because it's effective, because it's safe. So they give the shit away. But when they are asked about it in context of coronavirus, they talk about it like it's a dangerous thing and we can't safely recommend that this gets used. So wait, you're saying your drug that you gave a bunch of free stuff away to people isn't safe. Is that what you're saying? Which effectively is what they're saying. So they're, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Yeah. It's the very company that invented the shit. Uh, and again, to me, it's, it, it all points back to, you know, protecting the pharma companies and whatever politics might be surrounding the EUA. Yeah, that brings up a couple of questions. Um, I'll ask, I'll, I'll, I'll highlight them and then maybe we can pick a direction and go. Okay. Um, the first is lobbyist power or just power of big companies, right? Because yeah. like the pharmaceutical companies are going to have lobbyists who go, you know, to the DC and they lobby in front of senators and house representatives and shit, members of Congress for all this kind of stuff. Or they just probably now just like call them directly and text them and like, Hey, like I gave you $500 million last year. Like you need to make this happen. Like shit like that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you need, you need to listen to me and you have the power in this committee to push for this. So do it. And so there's like the abuse of power issue. Um, and that branches off into, every single person who ran for president last year talking about how bloated the government is and how you have super donors and everything is, you know, everyone, the more and more money you have, people can raise more money than others. They automatically win. It goes down that rabbit hole of shit where it's now it's just who has the most amount of friends um, with money. And then the other issue that, com that comes up to my mind is it's kind of a two-parter, but the first is if I remember, if I understand it correctly, ivermectin is one of, uh, I believe, two drugs that are not talked about much that have shown some effectiveness towards COVID. Mm -hmm. The other one, I forget the name, it's hydrochlor or something or other, but it's the drug that Trump talked about like a year ago. And everyone called him. Yeah. That's right. And everyone was like, you're fucking crazy. They got and there was this whole issue because Trump said it and fair enough because Trump says stuff and sometimes you're just like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> you got to play the odds. Trump's probably full of shit. Yeah, yeah, but so that was near as I can tell, uh, immediately dismissed because he said it. Um, and there was actually been a couple of uh, this is a slight tangent, but there was a couple of um, uh, I'm air quoting for, for everyone listening because you can't see us. But I'm air quoting journalists. But there was a couple of journalists who not even essentially or kind of they like they literally did admit to the fact that um they because trump would say things they would immediately dismiss them period yeah. and that's in part why the narrative of the lab leak uh, theory um was so Im immediately at the beginning squashed as like a right-wing extreme conspiracy issue is because trump touted it 
And everyone was like, well, we have to go against what Trump says because we're journalists. And that's, you know, journalism 101 when you're in grad school and getting your master's in journalism is, you know, fuck Trump. Um, yep. It's on the test. Again, yeah. And, and again, fair enough. I'm not sitting here supporting Trump, but uh, it's more so to make fun of so-called uh, truth seekers and um, bastions of uh, um, of what is real in the world, which is journalism. Like journalists are kind of like the final frontier of the real shit that happens. There's the ones who are supposed to uncover stuff so that people actually know what the fuck's going on. Like that's their job. That's their actual job. Um, and uh, then they didn't do it. Uh, tangent over. Um, so you have this hydrochloroquine that he touted and that immediately got pushed. But as I understand it, it also was decently effective. And that's the only one I'd ever heard of here. Okay. So until I heard of ivermectin from what I heard, the hydroxychloroquine, not so much, but there was another one that Trump didn't push this anywhere near as hard, but he did mention it was remdesivir. That's the other. Okay. There was three. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And apparently that one is still showing some effectiveness. Okay. It's, it's yeah. a, like an antidepressant of some sort. Um, that also has some anti-inflammation properties. I'm just going okay. off a of loose memory here. Um, but apparently that is showing some effectiveness. Not to the extent of ivermectin. Ivermectin actually sounds kind of fucking amazing. Um, but remdesivir, again, because Trump brought it up, yeah. basically gets buried. Right. So, so, so that that's an issue. And then along with that issue is the um, the emergency act thing that you talk about. So what I would be curious to know is because Trump was pretty clear that he was going to he actually wanted the vaccine done before he was out of office. And I think he was close to getting it done before that occurred. But that means that that emergency use thing that you're discussing, the act would have had to have been enacted by him and not Mr. Biden. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that seems interesting to me that he would tout these drugs that seem to work and then would go towards the other direction of getting um, these vaccines made. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to spend like, too much time trying to make sense of Trump, um, but I sure. can definitely see that he would want to get that win before the end of his first term, because then he gets yeah. to say he saved the world. Well, he, very true. That he personally came up with this vaccine. Everybody can thank him because he saved the world. Granny's alive because of Trump. And he, he may say those exact words um, didn't work out that way, but I could absolutely see that as a potential motivation for. No, very true. And then on that same note, though, it I could easily see when Biden comes in and the vaccine hasn't been fully cleared yet. It hasn't been cleared for release by the time he takes office. Um, I don't think the first. Well, actually, no, I think the first did the first doses go out in December. Do you I don't remember. Maybe yeah, it was around that time. Because what, <clears throat> what I'm getting at, what my thought would be is that I could easily see a situation where Biden comes in and he's like, well, I got to do the opposite of Trump. So let's use ivermectin and fuck these vaccines. Let's do something that's tried and tested. And instead, he went all in on the vaccine train and pushed a lot of this stuff. And the narrative is, is as we see it now. Um, it's just an interesting path that was taken by both of them honestly yeah um, and i'm curious as to why that path was taken um, i don't i don't think that biden could have switched course that abruptly 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it was already kind of in the zeitgeist that vaccines are on the way. Vaccines will set us free. We're still locked in our houses. When are the vaccines coming? Because I want to go see somebody. Um, that was really the savior for all was waiting for these vaccines. So I, I don't think there's any political way that Biden could have ever gotten away with even delaying it for a day. Like the vaccines had to come out at that point. Um, yeah. 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 That's, it's just a very unfortunate circumstance. I don't, I expect that there will be someone out there, a journalist, like an actual true journalist who will do some digging into this. And I envision in my head this article that comes out probably on like Substack or something because I don't know if like a, um, a major newspaper outlet will publish it nowadays, but um, where they basically uncover all the documents that show that pharma and the government colluded in, to some degree to suppress drugs that worked so that they could push forth. Because, I mean, it isn't like the vaccines that we're using are cheap. Like, this, these are like billions of dollars that they, because they're free too. So, like, every, like, they're given out to the U.S. for free. So, you know that the government is forking over billions upon billions of dollars for pharmaceutical companies to manufacture and make this shit. Yep. Billions of they're our not, tax dollars. Let's get the context yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. This is, it is, it's right, exactly. And so, it isn't like they're just doing this out of the goodness of their own heart. Yep. Um, the scientists themselves who are developing this, I think so. Um, you know, that'd be my guess at least, but, it, the, but I, I envision this, this scenario where like they, this journalist discovers that, um, there was this sit down meeting essentially. And people were like, look, we can pass out this drug that's been working, but it's dirt cheap. There's literally no money in it. Yeah, no, fuck that. That's probably how or, that <laughs> or right, or we could all profit, make millions because pharmaceutical companies are going to make multiple billions, hundreds of billions of dollars off of this. Everyone gets a little bit of a cut, and then we save the world. You know, we, um, which is absolutely crazy. Um, now, again, this could just be like a, a conspiracy issue. Um, I think it's less likely that that's the case given what we know about power corruption and how governments and um, people, private people in the private sector who have money, how they tend to function. This, this sort of thing is not even remotely outside of the realm of impossibility. Like it's, this is the kind of stuff that actually does happen. Oh, absolutely. And it's, I, I, I tried to default to opportunistic motives rather than nefarious, you know, smoky back rooms and, and plans to take over the world. But I can very much see conversations where a scientist of some sort brings up ivermectin in a meeting and the gist of it is, are you trying to fuck up this vaccine rollout? You know, if that works, we don't get the EUA and we can't do any of this. Are you trying? Are you, are you fucking kidding me? What are you talking about this ivermectin for? And it just gets shut down. Yeah. Just simple as that. Oh, you're going to fuck up the EUA. Don't do that. Next question. And they just move on. So it's not I like wonder, it's given a lot of, of thought. It's like, oh no, that's not going to work. Next question. I wonder how long. I wonder how long until we start hearing from scientists who did push this before they come out and start saying, "Hey, look, like eighteen months ago, I brought this up to the bosses at you know my work, my research lab, or whatever, and I was fired." Sure. Yeah. That kind of shit. I was silenced. Like they they put me in a took me into a room and was like, "You need to shut the fuck up." 
Well, I like, think the likelihood is is definitely better now than it was even a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just for the simple fact that um, Weinstein and uh, Dr. I need his name, uh, Pierre Corey, got on Rogan. And that's, you know, the, the Rogan effect is real. And that's, you know, millions and millions of people listen to that podcast, myself included. Um, I didn't hear that one. What they talk about exactly? Um, some of the details, much more details than I can recall right now about ivermectin, about the trials, okay. about what it's been used for. About so, Doctor Peter Corey, or sorry, Pierre Corey, um, is a physician who's on the front line, treating COVID patients, treating COVID patients that are so bad they had to come see him, kind of thing. So he's seeing the worst of the worst. He's having patients die on his watch. You know, he's in the thick of it with this pandemic and as a good doctor he's doing whatever the fuck he can to help people because he actually believes in his hippocratic oath so he's doing everything he can and he's finding that ivermectin works so he's prescribing it to people it's helping them he's doing more research he's talking to other doctors in other countries um you know in india in africa in mexico that are doing the same thing they're having good results with ivermectin and then he's watching it get absolutely squashed in the media and thinking, what the fuck? Uh, and then yeah. at, at some point, you know, I don't know if he and Brett knew each other ahead of time or they got to know each other uh, through this conversation. But now they've kind of teamed up. They've done a few different podcasts just trying to get the word out in as, as clear and honest a way as possible. And it's fucking compelling, if you ask me. Yeah, it's uh, it's cra yeah, crazy, crazy shit. I I recommend everybody check out the that JRE episode. Yeah, I haven't listened to that. I'll I'll be listening to that next. I they go into it, all it the did, juicy details. So yeah, it's, it's it just, it just it baffles me that um that that there's something that seemingly is that effective with like. One of the biggest issues with the new vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, is that it, it's a new type of vaccine. How it functions is different than all of the vaccines that have come before it. And so there's no long-term data about, there's no data about what happens long-term. Yep. There's no data about what happens when kids take it. There's no, uh, there's some data that's coming out, though it's it's small, but there's still apparently some data about um the the side effects uh, in particular with reproductive side effects mm -hmm. um i believe in when women most specifically young women but uh like in their teens and uh, early 20s but um like all that shit is new so it could be super effective and they both seem to be greatly effective but no one literally can know what happens in 20 years exactly and like that's actually a problem with vaccines is that if you take it and it solves the problem now, but the trade-off is that everyone die, everyone lives 20 years less. So instead of living till you're 90, you die at 70, like yeah. just fucking period. And if you were going to die in natural causes of 70, now you die at 50. Like, is that, is that worth the trade-off? And the answer may be no, yeah. it depends. And so, um, you know, if, if every single person ever takes a vaccine, you know, gets a uh, kidney failure at 42, it's like, well, you know, what the fuck? It's a bad trade. Yeah. And so you kind of want to know those sorts of things when you're giving it to young people. Now, for 70 and 80 year olds, it's like, hey, they've lived all, all everyone in their 80s has lived past the actual life expectancy of their generation. So that's not to say that they should 
take it. And then if they die, it's fine. It's just more of, it's, it's an easier argument to say, okay, well, when you're 90, you've lived a long enough life that if there are side effects, you're not actually probably going to see the side effects because you will die first. Right. But that cannot be said for a 12 year old. Because theoretically, a 12-year-old is another 70 years to live. So if there are side effects, the 12-year-old will see them and the 90-year-old won't. And also, the 90-year-old might actually care less because they're 90. They might be like, well, I just want to feel better for the next few years I have left. If they understand realistically they may die soon, it's like, well, okay, just make me feel better till I die. Whereas that's not something that a 20-year-old is going to be like, yeah, that's fine. I just want to be able to go to a party next week. I don't care if I die in two weeks. Like, (laughs) fuck it. It doesn't work that way, right? And so those long-term effects can be legitimate. And, you know, there's this big, uh, like with everything, and this will get to the slightly political part of it. um, If you don't want to get a vaccine, you're an anti-vaxxer, which is emphatically false. Yep. But that's that's the actual narrative. Is it, oh, that person's an anti-vaxxer. And it's like, well, maybe they have their reasons. Now they're an anti-vaxxer. It's like, no. Like maybe they don't want, maybe they don't want to conform to what the government wants them to do. That makes them much more of a libertarian than an anti-vaxxer or depending on their political leanings, maybe they're just a right wing nut who says, fuck the government. <laughs> that's, it's not really anti-vax. That's just, they're just have an odd political belief. Um, maybe they are, or most likely, at least from what I understand, people are concerned about the long-term health ramifications it's like that's a legitimate reason to not get this vaccine yeah or or at least to have open fucking conversation and not shut that shit down and automatically get associated with fucking you know QAnon and flat earthers oh you anti-vaxxer it's like no i'm curious about long-term results and there literally cannot be long-term studies yet because the shit is so new additionally we do have a couple red flags Number one, as I understand, again, I'm not a doctor. Don't take any of this as medical advice, blah, 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 CYA. Um, But the initial intent of the vaccine is you get a shot in the arm. Those spike proteins stay in that area. So they kind of stay in your shoulder. They stimulate an immune response. Your immune system shows up. So what the fuck is this? It gets to know it. Say, okay, this, we can't have any of this. It builds up a resistance to that specific thing. So then if actual COVID shows up, it's already got the recipe to kick its ass. We're good to go. That's the idea. Problem is, it's been found that the spike protein does not stay in the injection site. There are uh, uh, some percentage of it, of the spike protein, that go all throughout your system. What we've found again, apparently, is that the spike protein itself is doing damage. Now, in the grand scheme of things, you got a vaccine that uses a spike protein. We got to get a little bit in there to train your immune system. We get all that. But we do need to have that understanding that the spike protein itself is dangerous. It does fuck Mm -hmm. things up. So if it's going all throughout your system, well, that could and possibly has led to um, some pretty rough side effects. Um, We're we're getting reports of people that are having bad reactions to the vaccine. You don't hear about it in the mainstream, of course, uh, because nobody wants to poo-poo the vaccines. Uh, And and I will say you can 
kind of understand the logic of not wanting to create a panic, but in yeah. adult conversations, we got to be able to talk about, you know, warts and all. So yeah, there are some folks that are having bad reactions to the vaccine, which is to be expected, honestly. You know, nothing's perfect. People die from aspirin every year. But we got to talk about the stuff, uh, figure out what's going on, figure out that it's not staying in the injection site. That's a problem. Figuring out that the spike protein itself is dangerous. That's a problem. Um, so what can we do about this? And, you know, Brett points out that just those two things there, he pointed out more than these two, but just those two things there are design failures for this vaccine. Now, again, I'm not saying, you know, definitely don't take the vaccine. The vaccine's bad. Any of that. I got the vaccine. You got the vaccine. You know, we're, we're okay. Uh, and I think overall, it's definitely going to have a positive effect. But again, you know, if we're going to be adults and have adult conversations about this, uh, it did not go exactly to plan in terms of the mm -hmm. design and manufacture of this vaccine. And we got to be able to talk about that. But we can't. So. The open source of the of the information is the the issue that I take with it. Like, so they sped up the process of the vaccine creation. Yep. Which means that in order to do that, some corners have to be cut. Yep. Or you just you just employ more people to solve the problem, and then they work around the clock which then would beg the question that whenever we come up with a vaccine, why aren't we always doing that? So that doesn't, that argument doesn't hold up. So you know that they're, they're going to move past some things that they normally would not move past if the vaccine was supposed to take three years or whatever to manufacture instead of 18 months or 16 or however long it took. Yep. So at that point, what is it that they didn't do and what are the side effects that they're not bringing up that people would normally know about because there would have been enough analyses done on those side effects. Yeah. And well, like and that, I mean, for understand, part of the reason you wait is just for the sake of waiting, you know, say it's three years. We're not going to do anything new for three years. We're just going to wait and see if anything pops up. Yeah. And, you know, you can make a case that had this had the full length of trials, they would have figured out that the spike proteins are escaping the injection site, maybe figured out a way to mitigate that. They, you know, to tweak or retool the, the uh, nanolipid particles that are delivering this uh, potentially could have made it better if they would have had more time. Yeah. Again, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I, I, I don't poo poo the idea of getting this damn thing out there as quick as possible. No, um, I would have, I would have supported the stepping around the uh, the requirement that there are no other treatments available. Like, yeah, make this vaccine. We're going to try some ivermectin too. We're not going to worry about that part of the law. Get this ivermectin out there and keep working on that vaccine. And we're going to have both. Yeah. You know, to me, that would have been the way to go. That, that's what I was thinking too, is like knowing what I know now, it's like, okay, if this is super effective, let's roll out this super cheap drug. So it doesn't cost taxpayer because, like you said, if this is taxpayer money that we're using to fund pharmaceutical companies to make this shit, it's like that's my money, even though I get the shot for free wherever I go to get it. Like it's still my money in the grand scheme of things. Yep. So at that point, like I should have a say, as should every American, as to you know 
where that money goes and all that kind of stuff. So I would much prefer it if we're using a cheaper um, option that we can roll out faster, that's at least a stopgap. Like you said, if we like how absurd would it be if we were able to, in six months, roll out the equivalent of what we've already rolled out in, uh, so we rolled out the similar number of doses that we've rolled out now with all the vaccines um, of ivermectin in the first six months of the pandemic. And it just completely nullified most everything. We would be in our, at least this situation right now, potentially, that we are now, but in September of last year. Yep. Well, and, and you know, Brett brings up an, an excellent point in that the the time is critical, meaning um, the longer the virus exists, the longer SARS-CoV-2 is out there doing its thing and creating variants, the higher the chance that, like influenza, it is going to be with us in perpetuity. It would be a yeah. seasonal thing that kills, you know, however many people every year. And, you know, you get you get your flu shot mixed in with your COVID shot and you go to the Rite Aid or whatever. Uh, versus if we get on top of this thing with the quickness, we have the potential to literally eradicate it from the face of the earth. But if we wait too long, that chance is going to slip through our fingers. Yeah. And that's it's upsetting that. And now a lot of this could be hindsight too. Like we're looking at back on this and saying like, this all seems so easy and, and maybe it doesn't work out the way that we're suggesting maybe. Uh, but it would seem to me that given the effectiveness of ivermectin in particular, that I could have been doing jujitsu in September and I'm fucking pissed about it. Basically is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, this man. is bullshit. Yeah. Um, among other things, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that, that could have been very easily even maybe even before then. You know, uh, you, now here's an interesting thing to to, to, to consider. Um, let's say we had gone that route. Who do you think wins the presidency, the presidential election in November? If by September we're basically, you know, we're, we're well on our way to being open as an entire country. Um, who do you think? That's an excellent <laughs> point. The- <laughs> That's an excellent point, my man. So, and, and I mean, and I mean that as like a serious, legitimate question, like we do a thought experiment here. Yeah. Um, I, I have to imagine that the people that be, um, who, whomever is pulling some form of strings in this were like, wait a minute, like Trump's pushing these medications that already exist. If this shit works. And I'm again, this is cons- this going down that conspiracy theory road, but it's, I think it's a thought experiment that's worth at least speaking out loud. It's, the, a large percentage of the of undecided voters are going to be like, we had a shitty time and this dude pulled us through. Yep. Well, see, one of the many, many problems with Trump is that oftentimes he will say or do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, kind of like, you know, his, his pushback against CRT in federal institutions. Um, I agree with not having CRT in federal institutions, but the reasons he gave were stupid. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. So he, him talking about hydroxychloroquine, turns out that shit's not effective and he shouldn't have been pushing it like that at all, nor should he have been talking about injecting bleach or any of that shit. Uh, but should he have been looking for uh, alternative means of treatment? And if he would have 
if he would have even mentioned ivermectin, who knows? I mean, theoretically, say rather than hydroxychloroquine, he's talking about ivermectin. And uh, whatever percentage of MAGA country uh, goes out and tries it with good effect. Um, yeah. Not people that are, are pumping pool chemicals into their system because it looks like hydroxychloroquine and, and killing their husbands, um, but actually getting good effects from ivermectin. That absolutely could have changed the election. Yeah, um, and that's and that's a scary thing, I think, for a lot of people to consider. It is. Um, well, to me, it's just as scary as Trump getting kicked off of social media. Um, I disagree that that happened, but I absolutely enjoy the results currently. The silence of Trump yeah. from social media has been a good thing. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. at, at The principle of it, fucking terrible. But that yeah. specific instance, I ain't hating it. So it's, no, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's definitely an interesting thought experiment to think about. Um, I have to, I would not be surprised if that also was uh, something that was taken into consideration. I could definitely see that being the conversation. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, in particular, if ivermectin's rolled out in multiple other countries and you're seeing six, then there was like immediate success from it. Yep. It wasn't like it's all been recent success. This was like immediately in the pandemic, there was success like yep. early on. And so people that, you know, needed to be in the know knew. It wasn't like they didn't know they all, they knew this sort of thing. Like all the countries have been sharing data on this stuff for a long time. Have they and, though? Uh, I think that's yeah, for, the details may be important uh, there. For, I think a decent number of countries have. Uh, okay. I know that obviously China in particular is um, famously in North Korea in particular. Uh, they're both like very famous for like not sharing data with the U.S. just on many things. Right. Um, but uh, as I understand it, there have been plenty of countries that have been more than open with the U.S. about COVID and sharing the the data and the, the genome sequences and in those kinds of things of, okay. uh, and plus like in the science community, like the doctors who are administering this shit are going to talk to each other. Would be, that'd be my guess. Like if as long as they don't do it on YouTube and get canceled. Right. Yeah. I mean, which well, brings us to the media and the role that they play in not allowing this information to freely flow. Well, so didn't the, the, the creator of the uh, the spike protein issue you're talking about, the M mRNA style vaccine, this new vaccine, the guy mm -hmm. who created that whole thing, not the vaccine itself, but like the, the thing that was used to make the vaccine. He himself was censored on YouTube because he expressed concerns, the concerns you talked about. He was like, I, you know, I have concerns about um, some of the negative side effects of the fucking thing that I created. And yeah. I think the people should, should be aware of it. And then YouTube censored, didn't they like take the video down that he did? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken there, if it wasn't him, there was another guy along the same lines, but was giving Senate testimony, <laughs> Senate fucking testimony. I mean, that is like the most public and patriotic and, and you know, whatever, you know, everybody's well, legally public. Yeah. yeah it's legally, legally public. public record. Yeah. Unless you're YouTube and then you get to say, no, we're taking that down. It, and so, yeah, yeah. That, that's interesting to me. It's like, 
we're going to censor you for talking about the thing that you created. Yeah. And, and spoke about to the country by way yeah. of, you know, the Senate. Yeah. It's, it's um, like, this is my fucking creation. Like I'm the one who knows how to make it. I'm the one who knows the side effects. I'm the one who sees them. Like this is what the fuck do you know? That's great. But YouTube says you're not qualified. So your video has got to go. Yeah. In my, yeah, in the, in my head, <laughs> a parallel in my head is like, me put let's say i i do a i do a pod or i do put a video up and then there's a song in the video and then the video gets taken down for copyright infringement but it's my song yep and yep. they're like you can't you can't do that and it's like i, I fucking wrote the song yep bitches like <laughs> this is fucking my song yeah like i could use my own song on my own youtube videos what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> i think it, it it speaks to um our willingness and our tolerance for censorship you know, and you and I have had conversations about that, but you know, our, the, the current state of the country is fewer and fewer people realize the importance of not allowing censorship. Uh, people are just getting way more comfortable with that. So, oh, well, he, he got canceled for a good reason. Nope, not okay. So, and you, like I said, you know, Trump's a great example. I don't agree with that move, but I'm enjoying the results. So, well, I think and we can only spend a, a minute on this and then move on. But you said people are getting comfortable. And I mean, that's that's how democracy fails. Yep. That's how that's how it falls is that um, I always like to use this example because I'm a huge dork. But it, the fall of the Republic in Star Wars in the episodes one, two and three, this uh you know, there's a scene in episode in Star Wars episode three where uh, um, Natalie Portman's sitting there and she's like, you know, this is how democracy falls to thunderous applause. It's one of my it's like the only good part of all three of those. The, tr the trilogy movies, one of the only good parts besides the lightsaber battles, because what you're what you witness is like the the emperor's like, I want power. You need to give me unchecked authority and everyone claps and cheers for it. And it's like, well, how did you get to that point? And then you see through all three of the movies, like he gets more and more power for small reasons and people give him more and more power. And it isn't like he just shows up one day and is like, I want everything. It, it, it's slow. Yeah. And over the course of like 10 years, he just slowly accumulates and keeps extending power because of external threats. And then all of a sudden um, he's able to take down his biggest threat, which is the Jedi, and then uh, get you know, the, like all, all that kind of shit. And that, that's what happens is that, you know, at first there's a little bit of censorship and then people are like, they freak out. They're like you, the fuck you don't censor me. And it's like, okay, well, I kind of see why you're doing this. And then you wait a bit and then you do it again, you know, and then you do it again and then you do it again. And then all of a sudden uh, the person who was 10 feet away from you is now directly in your face and you're still comfortable with it. And you don't know how they got past your little personal bubble because you just slowly allowed them to creep towards you. And, and pretty soon, like we're going to start seeing issues where these private companies are going to have complete and utter control over the shit that we say is, I mean, assuming that they already don't. I think the case could be made that they do. They shut down the yeah. president of the United States of America. I mean, how much yeah. more proof do you need, really? Yeah, and like I'm, I'm with you on that. Like I, regardless of how inflammatory he is, um, better ideas have to win out. Yep. 
exactly. or should, should and I think do went out. And people can make the case all they want that what he's doing is, you know, he's inflaming the public and he's causing issues. And you can, if you want, you can put the uh, the insurrection on it on his hand in his hands. You know, the January sixth, um, the riots on it, on, lay those at his feet and all those kinds of things, and say this is why he should be banned. But um, I, I don't agree. Not necessarily. I don't agree that it should be on him for that. But I don't agree that he should be banned. I think that. Y- you need to allow those kinds of things to uh, people to say those kinds of things and then charge them accordingly. Yep. And otherwise there, there is no line like that. That's the key for me is that there is no line because the line is at the line is arbitrarily placed by the beholder of the line. And whoever controls the line is the one who controls everything. And that's not a good place for anybody to be. Like the, No one should be in that position. I agree. And the, people, and the people who, and in particular, the people who want to be there. Because the people who want to be there are the ones who are going to fuck that up. <laughs> yep. Like the, that's, that's, that's the age-old problem. It's like, you know, the reason politics sucks is because it's because people who want to be in politics the best politicians are the ones who don't want to be there because they don't want to play the fucking pol- political game. Right. Like you, so you, you don't want to give people a reason to go find that line and then control it. Yeah. Because the, because there are people who want to control the line and that's what they're going to do. And then you add in a little bit of psychopathy and you have, I mean, and that that's not good. Yeah, success in politics should disqualify you from politics, just by the nature of it. Um, yeah, and we and talked you, about this. Month. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, in terms of uh, of free speech, I will I will also bring up the counterpoint that we definitely need to have the discussion that our ability to communicate and the results uh, therein are radically different than what you know, the, the founding fathers, uh, ever envisioned, you know, when, when the country was formed, you know, at best you could either stand on a street corner and yell at the top of your lungs and, and reach a few hundred people or, uh, write an article in a newspaper that's carried on horseback across the country. And it takes a year for, you know, a few thousand people to see it or whatever. The scale is so radically different with social media and the various technologies that we have that it, it warrants fresh eyeballs on the concept, not yep. to challenge the concept itself, but to see what nuance we're missing given the new tools that we have. Um, you know, social media is a special thing. It's, it needs to be talked about and, and, you know, understood that it, it's not the same thing as, you know, uh, radio and telegraphs and then television it's a different yep. thing, but the the core principle of freedom of speech is still critical. Um, and yeah, and we're letting it go bit by bit. I mean, part of the challenge is is generational turnover. You know, nobody born in this country has been alive to actually see the uh, the other options, right? 
Um, we've born into a free country. It's all we've ever known. We've been given free speech. We take it for granted. Um, but, you know, say somebody that fought in World War II viscerally saw what the alternatives are. Yes. So, oh, hell no, not for my family, not for my countrymen. Um, but those folks are all gone now. And, and the, especially, you know, the kids now, the, the, the early millennials and the Gen Zers that are coming up and, and starting to make things happen in the world, what the hell do they know? You know, they are, they are the soft men and women that came from easy times. And they may very well lead us into hard times that will forge the hard men to get us out of it. But that's yeah. probably going to happen after you and I are gone. So this is the little slice of the movie that, that we get to see. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that's a big part of it. People forget, you know, who's reading history books? Nobody's fucking reading history books. You kidding me? I got TikTok to check out. So we lose a lot that way. It's unfortunate. And I, I yeah. as much as I want to, you know, get on a, you know, get off my lawn, old man stance. Um, I think that it is, it, again, it's the, the pace of technology and media consumption makes it so incredibly easy to only see the things that you want to see. And it, and also it is, financially profitable for these companies to only give you what you want to see. Therefore, they have developed supercomputers to figure out what you want to see mm-hmm. rather than some stuff that we need to learn, you know, our history and whatnot. It's, it's a novel problem that really needs to be addressed. And if it's not, then it's going to, it's going to continue to cause problems. Yeah. That may very well be the root of the uh, the dissolution of the country. Yeah, potentially. I uh, I had an idea. I'll probably never do this just because I don't want to be a part of the government. But um, a couple, like a year or two ago, there was a city council election here in our town, and I think this coming up in like November or something. There's actually a school board election, and there's a couple of seats that are open. Mm. Um, and the only people that are running are the people who are currently in those seats. So they're, I think they're running unopposed. Um, but what my idea, I thought would be really uh, an interesting uh, uh, social experiment, is to try and run a campaign that is literally only online. So like in my head, I envisioned it as instead of like doing door-to-door uh, knocks and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, handing out flyers and stuff, I would never go outside and meet people in person about my campaign. I would only run online campaigns um, and do like ads on the radio and uh, do commercials and stuff on, uh, or do like ads and stuff on uh, uh, YouTube and iTunes and stuff like that, like, uh, uh, and stuff. So people had to see it when they're listening to their and watching their devices, but never do anything in person. And I'd be curious to know if someone could win an election that way, where they never have to do the original stuff that people used to do. I wouldn't doubt that at all. In fact, yeah. that would probably be incredibly effective. That yep. might be the way to go. Don't waste your time. Door to door, what are you doing? That's one person at a time, and then you got to walk down and talk to one more person. No, 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 no. Okay. We're going to make some media. We're going we're gonna to buy some ads. We'll, hell, we'll, yeah. we'll set up a, a Zoom town hall so you can talk to everybody that wants to join in. Uh, yeah, I could definitely see that working. And, you know, in local politics, that's where you actually can make a beneficial difference you know at the national level 
everybody's a fucking crook. It just is what it is. But locally, you can do some good. Yeah, no, very, very true. Um, but yeah, that'd, that'd be. Uh, I actually wouldn't even in, in my my initial proposal. I wouldn't even do Zoom calls. It would be like people would only ever see recordings of me or like written stuff. Like I would want to make it as impersonal as possible, where like no one ever actually got to he- talk to me in person. <laughs> that I get elected and people are like, "Who the fuck did we vote for?" I've never. I've literally never met this person. I don't know if they're real. I've only ever seen recordings. Just to be like. I don't need to actually be in front of the public to do, to, to get, to get hired. You know, you could just do I this. I totally think it would work. Yeah. Which would be hilarious to me. It's like, it, it, assuming that that sort of thing worked, it's like, there's literally no reason for me. There's no need for me to ever engage with my community that elected me. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> which would just be absolutely, you know, I just have this image of me. Like I'm at a bar getting a beer with my girlfriend and someone comes up and they're like, aren't you city councilman, whatever. I'm like, yeah. It's like, thank I voted for you. Like, cool. This is- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks bro. <laughs> I, I would, I would ask if you came to any of my events, but I didn't hold any. <laughs> which commercial did you like? <laughs> but cause I mean, it, it's so effective and cheap too and uh, yeah. from a time standpoint like you know th- it's not that expensive locally to make ads and stuff you know i mean you could reasonably reach everyone in any small town um with like 30 bucks a day on facebook yeah using just facebook ads you you'd have to get a bunch of different interests interest groups because so you could target basically everyone in your city but you could do a dollar a day per interest group, do a couple of different ads to, you know, you want to test them, of course, and tailor them to the different interests and then just like spam however many people are in your city. And then there you go. Like that alone wouldn't be that expensive comparatively. Um, radio advertising is not that expensive anymore because it's radio advertising. Um, and you could push those Facebook ads into uh, you. you they'll actually get put onto other, you can go through Google in particular and they'll, they'll hit YouTube, iTunes, all that, all that kind of stuff. And so I mean, like it wouldn't be that hard to do on the back end. They just, you need to make good ads, which that's the hard part um, is making good ads, but yeah, that'd be really funny. Um, Yeah. This is absolutely crazy shit. I, I feel like by the end of the year, there's going to be so much information that comes out regarding um, the vaccine and how COVID is transmitted and like how effective things are and like how we, like people are just going to go back and be like, this is how we handled shit. This is what we know. These things shouldn't have been done. Like all that kind of stuff is just going to come back and we're going to be like, what the fuck were we doing? Like people already now know that we fucked up the entirety of the beginning of the pandemic. I don't think I've ever heard anyone who's like, yeah, you did a good job. <laughs> Aside from Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And um, and people are even critical of how Biden's handled things and how Fauci's handled things, like everyone. And so it's like, I think that as more information comes out, um, you know, like Fauci, like I said, that Freedom of Information Request Act, um, someone got a bunch of all like, well, was a couple hundred thousand emails or something or a couple thousand emails that he had sent in the first in March of 2020. Yep. 
which is a lot of emails for a month. Like that's, that's a crap ton of emails, but so obviously busy he's very busy. Yeah. yeah. That's just emails, you know? Um, but there, there's like a treasure trove of information, but like a huge percentage of it's redacted. So that's confusing. Oh, I didn't see that. Not surprised. Yeah, appar- yeah. yeah, no, apparently a large percentage of it's redacted. And there was, uh, I think he's a senator, but uh, it's like, I think his name's like Jim Jordan or something. I don't remember what state he's he, Oh, he's a, <laughs> that guy, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I've seen him before. I don't remember the stuff he talks about, but I saw a video of him and he was. He looks like a sketchy up. wrestling coach, is what he looks like. Jim yeah, he kind of <laughs> reminded me a bit. Yeah, he reminded me, looked, reminded me a little bit of Dexter, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of got a Dexter teaches wrestling, yes. Yeah, he's got a little bit of a Dexter look to him. Yep. And um but he uh he had did this there was like this COVID panel, I guess, like a government thing. And he was talking about he had big uh pop-ups of emails and stuff and he was basically like, "Look, I have it, I found some information that everyone should be aware of. Like it looks to me like you know, essentially Dr. Fauci was uh lying to the public about the effectiveness of certain things um, and the really the origination of uh, of the virus in particular uh, early on. What Ooh, the hell? I'm glad you brought that up and we'll come back to that. Go ahead. Um, and uh, apparently there was like a meeting very early on with a bunch of people, scientists mostly, and some politicians about all of this. And he requested all the, the minutes, the notes, and the entirety of the whole thing is redacted. So there was like, there was like a meeting and I'm getting some of the details wrong. Um, so I, did, I only watched the video once and so I didn't go back and watch it a second time. But um, essentially from what I gather, like there was a meeting like in early February, March or whatever about the virus and where it came from and all this kind of stuff and the problems and whatever. And the narrative prior to it was that it's, you know, we're not sure. Um, apparently in some emails, Fauci was like, this could definitely be be something that originated from a lab. Um, some scientists were like, this could be a thing. Um, and then they had this meeting where not all the scientists that are like, should have been included were, I guess, but um, to discuss everything, all of it's redacted. And then like immediately afterwards, the whole narrative changes. It's like, mm. this is the narrative we go with. No counter narrative. This is what's going on. It's like, it is suspicious. And um, well, and boys, we, get, we got a call from Xi Jinping. He said he's not yeah. liking what we're doing, so we got to change it up a little bit. Here's a new plan. Yeah, and yeah. so, um, and so that made me think because, as it should, you know, like because yeah. you just don't know, like, there, for all intents and purposes, like it could be nothing, and we just move on. But when you have a lot of redacted shit, when there's smoke. Yeah, right, exactly. And um, especially with how the media reacted initially when it came to the lab leak theory um, and with the things that we've found out since then um, regarding it and uh, how it's been potentially been engineered, which is another issue. There are some early scientists early on. Um, I think that was part of the emails that Fauci had sent where some scientists were like, some of the sequencing in the genome early looks like it could be engineered. Please and take I, a and look. I, yeah, and I, I think to that end, I think this is a, an important detail that if I understand it correctly, it, I want to try and make as clear as possible that the the engineering aspect of it is speaking more to the process of what they call serial passaging, which basically, well, first of all, what it is not 
It is not a scientist or group of scientists sitting down, sketching out a, a new gene and say, hey, we want to make this. We're going to put all the pieces together and poof, we got a new virus. It is not mm -hmm. that. We don't have that kind of technology yet. CRISPR can't do it. We're just not there yet. Um, but what we can do is use the process of evolution as a tool. So we can take a virus and by selecting different pressures on it and running it through different organisms uh, again and again and again and again, uh, hence the serial passaging, you keep running it through, you can force it to evolve in either certain directions or just straight up new directions that we couldn't think of, but we can make it do new stuff in a very rapid fashion. And that's what we're talking about. So the evidence in the genome appears to be that there's clear evidence that this, this has been fucked with. It's been in a lab, most likely through gain of function serial passaging, which would make sense and lead to the results that we are seeing. But it's not a you know Dr. Evil character that decided to from scratch come yeah, up yeah. with a new virus, uh, and and that's I have only seen Brett and like one other person really try and drive that point home, and tons of people have gotten that mistaken as though there are scientists that are just whipping up new fucking viruses from scratch, and that's just not the case. So, well, no, what what I mean, what you're describing is what. That's broadly what, from what I understand, that's actually broadly what people do when they test most anything. Like, that's why we use mice as an example to test, like, skincare products and other medic medications. And that's how places do that, is they, mice don't live very long, and they have similar, there's some things about them that are similar to humans, and so they can rapidly test things on them. Well, the difference here is results. You're, you're correct there. The difference here is rather than, you know, getting one batch of mice and see is this killing the mice or causing you problems that we need to be aware mm -hmm. of, uh, which you, know, you need to know it's important. But rather than that, it's like, OK, take a group of mice, give them this virus and figure out if 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 one, you know, they all get the virus. But this one virus in this one rat survived. Like we gave it some antibiotics, whatever. This motherfucker survived. This is a stronger virus. Okay, let's take that, put it into a whole bunch of different mice. And see, and see what happens. And, yeah. and eventually it keeps getting stronger and stronger and keeps evolving yeah, and yeah. gaining new functions. That's that's it, it. So it's we can't design it from scratch ourselves, but evolution is really fucking clever. So we're gonna speed up that process and see yeah. what pops out. Well, it appears yeah. that COVID-19 popped out. So as you bring all this up, that that's um, I want to correct what I said about the Fauci emails. So when Jim Jim Jordan brought up all the emails, he was actually talking about the um, it being uh, partially engineered, lab engineered. Mm. That that was the issue. Someone had been like, "Hey," um, sent him an email, was like, "Hey, like this looks engineered," and he was like, "Okay, thank you." And then there was this meeting about that essentially, and that's what's all redacted. And then very shortly thereafter, it was no engineered, leaked from somewhere else. It's pretty clear by, I think, everyone who knows anything that um, within this field that it did not leak. It did not actually start in the um, Huanan wet market. 
Right. Yeah, that's that's finally um, I think that's finally going away the wet market thing. Yeah. yeah. Um but that was like the initial push, the counter push to what we're discussing because that initially was what came up is that some doctors were like, "Look, like this isn't right. Like this very much looks engineered." Yeah. And then there's a meeting that's redacted and then all of a sudden it's no longer engineered. It came from the wild and, and then the wet market gets pushed. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that was pushed. Uh, there, there are some issues, a doctor in Seattle, um, he works at Fred Hutch. Um, he's like a virologist there. He trolled through some, uh, Google cloud data and found, um, a bunch of, uh, um, genome sequences, that had been deleted from the, uh, what's the, I think it's called the NIH, the Na- National Institutes of Health. It's like the database yeah. for all the health organizations in the U.S. It had been deleted from their archive of like early COVID peoples, yeah. right? Because as I understand it, basically what, what happens is, um, especially early on, um, you know, you, then you start to realize there's problems. Like every, all you, you go and you, you're sick and they do whatever they do. They cotton swab you or whatever. And then they keep all that stuff on file. And then if there's like a pathogen or like a, a virus or whatever running around, then they'll catalog it under that if it qualifies. Right. So all these early people who had COVID, like they had no way to know it was COVID until they discovered what it was. And then they go back and try and find those people again through the doctors, through the records. And then they, they look at the genome sequencing and tie it to the COVID that they know exists. And then generally there's been mutations, so they have to find similarities and discover how much it's mutated. And then they try and go back to find patient zero. And it's important because that actually, that'll actually tell them how it's reproduced and where it originated from. Um, but there was a bunch of data, not a bunch, there was some data that had been removed from a report that was done. And he noticed that it was gone from the report. He couldn't find it in the archive. Um, and so he was like, well, I want to find it, found it on Google in the, in the cloud. I actually don't know what that really fully means. I've never sought to look out the Google cloud, but I, apparently it's a thing. He found it. Um, I know it makes me sound woefully ignorant of how <laughs> the internet works, but it's like I know any it's other cloud service. Google has their version of it. It's just a shared, yeah, shared server that everybody can dump their it. info into. So he finds it here in this, the, the, the shared service or whatever. And then recently publishes in an, uh, it, set it for publication. It's currently in, um, I forget what the name of it is, but there's like a, a, um, a site or a, not a magazine, but like a, um, a research site that people have been publishing all of their um, uh, non peer reviewed papers about COVID in particular, mm. because with, with it, it, some people may be unfamiliar with like the peer review process when you're like a PhD or whatever, and you, you uh, write a paper, it has to go through depending um, on your field, a pretty rigorous process. Some fields are actually quite shit um, as evidenced by the grievance studies hoax a couple of years ago. Um, <laughs> and then the Sokol squared hoax back in the nineties. Um, though I think the math, math has kind of cleaned itself up a bit there, but um, the humanities have not uh, at all. But uh, what, anyways, uh, you go through this process, it has to get peer reviewed and then accepted and then published. And then the only people that can access it are other academics. It's not really accessible to the public. You can pay for some of them, but it's really expensive. So it's not really, and so um, and there's no time to get your papers peer reviewed on COVID and have it be real time, like up to date, because right. information is changing so quickly. So people have just been doing a bunch of research and then posting it <clears throat> unpeer reviewed on this site so people can read it and take from it what they want. 
those are typically what they and call pre-print servers. So that that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If a paper is done but it hasn't gone through the peer review process, then it's what they call pre-print. Yeah. So it's not as rigorous, and there's going to be a lot of problems, but it does get all the information out there. So it, it's, there's a give and take there. So he put it up there because it's in the process of getting peer reviewed. And he basically, he didn't, well, he wasn't like, it was a conspiracy. He, uh, from what I gather, he basically was like, look, I found this data. It's interesting. It clearly shows that, uh, or at least the hypothesis, um, it's, pre it's pretty clear that the what market obviously was not the first place based on the, the, um, the sequencing I was able to find, um, it was uh, a couple of mutations prior to the sequencing found at the, the wet market. So it's pretty clear that the wet market was not the epicenter, the start of the pandemic. Um, now, no one knows why it was removed. That poses some questions. The NIH said that um, it's common for people to ask for some data to be removed for various reasons. And that they comply with it because it's the whoever submitted the information, it's their data. So if they want to remove, they'll remove it. Um, but it does beg questions of, you know, why some early sequencing was removed. And it wasn't like it was all of this sequencing. It was just like a small chunk of like 200 and some odd of them. It's, it's a all random suspicious, man. Given yeah. given it's the just topic, suspicious. yeah, it's yeah. super. It's suspicious. just suspicious. That that's all. It, it could be an innocuous thing where there's no problem. Um, a, a bunch of uh, other doctors they criticized what he done, and their whole criticism was like, "We've already known about this. You can actually find this data elsewhere." Um, and it's as they call it in its raw form. And so, whereas he found it in the cloud and then like put it out in like a more refined form. I couldn't quite figure out what they meant by raw form. What I think it meant, um, near as I could tell, is that the data sequencing, like the genome sequencing, was available because it was published in a paper. It was from uh, uh, the 12 Chinese doctors published this paper. And you could find the, sequ the sequencing with everything else, but all the information on it had been removed. So if you, I, I, the, the, the gist of it, from what I gathered, was that if you knew what to look for, you would find it. And then this doctor in Seattle just made it accessible to the public in a way that the public could understand. Okay. And so the criticism is, well, we already know about this data, but the we is like the people who study virology. Right. And who aren't saying anything about it. Yep. And so for me, it's like not really a valid criticism when some virologist is like, you've done nothing. Yep. It's like, well, as far as I can tell, you've never bitched about this. So like, why isn't you and any of your, your fellow virologist brethren complained about the fact that there's some data missing that this would have been nice for me to know personally in March 19th of 2020, the day after, you know, I, I basically lost my job and everyone was freaking out because of a wet market in China. Yep. And no one in the media was like, hey, this did not happen. This is not the China flu or whatever. You know, this didn't happen in in this wet market. It actually happened prior somewhere else. That would have been a nice narrative to know one, you know, eight, six, 18 months ago. Like that actually would have been a good thing to know, just simply so I know. So who right? who is politically at disadvantage with that information being made public? The people. And it's always the people. And it's like, you have all these doctors who are like, I, I know how to read this information. It's pretty clear, but then they don't go out and say anything. Or maybe they tried and they were silenced. I'm sure that's part of it. But, and honestly, for most of them, they probably were just going to work and doing their jobs like normal people. Yep. They're like, this is not right. I'll tell everyone I know, but that's all I can really do. You know, I'm just a dorky virologist working in a lab who knows 30 people like everyone else. Like, 
making a YouTube video and explain this isn't going to get very far. And there's some truth to that. Yeah. But it's also like how you I, I took issue with these doctors criticizing this person for basically coming to light with these these things that I literally have never heard of. And I'm sure 99% of Americans have not heard of either. And it's like, okay, like it doesn't change much for me. Like it doesn't make, doesn't open my eyes anymore to like problems. It just, it, it just solidifies something for me. Like, okay, we know it didn't start here. That's good to know. Yeah. Obviously, we can't change where we're at now because of it, but it's a good piece of information that I would like to have. Like, I'm not going to read through some virology report that sequences all the genomes of the first COVID patients and just understand it and be like, oh, yeah, like, here, here's the data. Fucking got it. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> well, here's your problem like, right here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, my girlfriend's all stressed out about everything. I'm like, don't worry, honey. Like, see these, see all the, the, you know, these extra numbers and letters and shit. That's just DNA. We know what's going on. Like I got, <laughs> it's all good, dude. Here's I'm assuming that DNA that's written out on paper is in numbers and letters. I don't even know what the fuck it looks like. So uh, it's A C T and G, and it's is uh, that okay? It's a fucking mess. I, I've seen, yeah. If it, if it's truly raw raw data, like raw data coming out of um, a sequence, it's a fucking mess. I saw an example yeah, so, one time, and it was I expected it to be messy. It was way messier than I than I even thought it would be. It's like, oh shit! It's quite a process to to distill it down from data and turn it into useful information. Uh, yeah. So that's the thing. And so, it's like, you know, kudos to the guy who went through all the work to find that and then break it down somewhat and yeah. show the public, like, hey, like, here's just some more information for you about the beginnings of this. Like, well, here's an interesting tidbit that I recently heard. Apparently there was an athletic event of some sort that was military related. Um, U.S. soldiers were involved. It was in China. It was either in or close to Wuhan. Athletic event. Shortly thereafter, many, many, many of the athletes, possibly in the hundreds, but many, many athletes got very COVID-like symptoms um, some of them took it home to their spouses and kids and whatnot, and they got COVID-like symptoms. This was in late 2019, before it hit our shores, before it hit Kirkland. Not one of those people has been tested for antibodies. Hmm. Let me say that again. <laughs> of this large group of military individuals that were in an athletic engagement in China with other countries and developed very COVID-like symptoms in late 2019, not a single one of them has been tested for COVID antibodies. Because how inconvenient would that be to the narrative of a wet market or whatever? Um, It's just more shit that they're hiding. I mean, how how do they possibly not and i mean here's the thing uh if i understand correctly like because they're in the military a they can't say shit and they're probably not even allowed to go get their own antibody testing so the athletes themselves are screwed they you know they literally don't have the same rights that you and i do because you give those up when you join the military it's just part of the deal so they're locked down they can't say shit and nobody's willing to test them so again where there's smoke there's fire kind of thing it would seem reasonable these people had COVID in late 
2019. Just like the two scientists that happened to work on coronaviruses, that happened to be in a lab, that happened to be in China, in Wuhan, happened to get COVID life symptoms. But that wasn't the start of the pandemic. That's, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take from, uh, from John Stewart. If there's a chocolate explosion in Hershey, Pennsylvania, it's the Hershey plant. <laughs> if there's a coronavirus explosion near the coronavirus research laboratory, start there. Yeah. It's just, it's so ridiculous when you say it out loud. And yet we have lived the last 18 months of this just nonsense that has been spewed out of the media and, and out of politicians' mouths. And, and somehow it just keeps working for them. It's, it's amazing. That's what, yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. It, it, it. I think John Stewart hits the nail on the head with that one. It's like, yeah, there's four or some odd or 12 or there's like under 15 labs in the world that have, that can do what Wuhan can do. Yep. I think there's actually only four and one of them's in China. If I remember correctly, that's, that, I that think that would be wrong. Yeah. That ring is close to the number that I've seen. And I think there's, I think the other three are in the U S or something, but yeah. there's one obviously in China and it's in the city where this outbreak occurred. And I'm what? Yeah. I'm sorry, but like the, the wet markets, like within walking distance from the lab or some shit. It's it, people are, it, it goes to show you can cover up damn near anything. And yeah. the, the political power, it's like, you know, Trump wasn't, wasn't fully wrong when he said he could shoot somebody on main street and get away with it. When you have enough political power, it really doesn't matter how much evidence you have. You can, if you yeah. have the power, you can overcome any evidence. And I think yeah, we've seen that in spades this last year. No, very true. And I mean, and what's funny is that, I shouldn't say it's funny, what's sad or tragic or darkly comedic is that that's, that's actually always been the case. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if, you, if, you do, if you do any research, any serious research into, um, so you like, look for dirt on all of our former presidents. Oh yeah. Um, the number of former presidents who have done shit like out in the open, that's like openly fucking illegal is absurd. It'd like, be on the absolute. order of like all but two. <laughs> Jimmy Carter yeah. might've been okay. And, and maybe somebody else has it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and if they're not doing something wrong, like grotesquely illegal, they have some of the most absurd health problems that are covered up. Yeah. You know, like Kennedy is a good example. Yep. Like my entire, per, you know, per, uh, idea or image of Kennedy, JFK, is of this young, attractive, womanizing, very charismatic, like tough Democratic leader. That he was a sickly kid who was on all sorts of medications his whole fucking life, he's almost died multiple times from complications, was not an athletically gifted, couldn't do athletics really because he was so sick all the time, um, was not healthy in his adult life. He was doped up so much during his presidency that the, um, fuck, what was the, uh, was it the Cuban cr missile crisis that he was involved in? Yeah. What was the one? Or, yep. Yeah. Like he actually went into that high 
like straight up, he was given a cocktail from a doctor that to this day, no one but the doctor and him, and I think, and I think the doctor's also dead, knew what was in it. Um, that he, he like could barely function in the meeting, according to people who were actually there. He was like falling asleep, oh, um, like, like not, but he somehow managed to like get the deal to go through and he avoided a, you know, a fucking nuclear war. So good on him to do that. Well, he's like just bombed out of his mind. Way to handle your but, drugs, man. <laughs> yeah. But, and it's like, that would have been nice to have known in my history book that like, he, he basically was Tom Hanks and Sully or not Tom Hanks, um, uh, Denzel Washington in um, not Sully, the, uh, the airplane movie that Tom, uh, Denzel Washington's in. We're like, he has to get hot. John Goodman brings him like cocaine and shit so we can like wake up and. Oh, um, I didn't see was, that one. Shit. Yeah. And so it, it's a, a, a good movie. Uh, hilarious. Cause it, it, those two are hilarious, but like, it's just this idea. Like he, he basically had to be high all day to function mm-hmm. um, on top of his infidelities and shit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, and so to some degree, I think Trump's right on that. It's like, I mean, there are actual presidents who've legitimately gotten away with murder, with legitimate murder. Sure. Um, and it was just covered up by the people in, around them and, you know, fluffed off. Um, this is all pre uh, post slavery. And so there are issues with presidents pre slavery that are pretty bad as well. Of course. Um, of course it, it, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, Especially now with the media the way it is, you can spin almost you can spin almost anything any way you want. Yeah, um, you know, and I get tired of talking about the way the media spins shit because it's just one thing after another. Well, and, our, and the trust in our institutions has eroded to the point that it it literally doesn't matter. Yeah, no, no, we nobody believes you, and nobody is expected to believe you. Uh, apparently, so a couple years ago. You would probably remember that I believe it was Tucker Carlson was, I don't know if it was a lawsuit, but basically it was taken to a judge and it was explained that this is not expected. Maybe it was Hannity, somebody on Fox. This is not a factual news show. This is entertainment. Um, I think that's basically how it went down, but that was a gist in a legal sense. Fox had to admit we are not telling the news. This is an entertainment program. Right. Yeah. Um, And I guess like a month ago, maybe a little bit less. Same thing with Rachel Maddow. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the people that are seen as the deliverers of news have legally had to state that they are not giving the news. And yet people still watch him with that intent to figure out what's going on. It's part of their sense-making apparatus. Uh, but nobody really fully believes anybody else. So it, I think, you know, like I said, one or two podcasts ago, you just go with what feels right. And that hmm. more often than not is not in line with reality. Well, that's kind of part of it is like you look at all of the all of the journalists and reporters or whatever who are near as I can tell doing their damnest to report things as they are on the ground. None of them work for a major news company anymore. They've basically all been unceremoniously vilified, fired and canceled. And all of them have like, they've all had to set up their own independent, um, websites and other things usually like I said through Substack and some other places Substack's getting big yep yeah um and i mean glenn greenwald 
is is the biggest name that comes to mind right now. Yep. And for those unfamiliar with Glenn Greenwald, he was most known for breaking Snowden. Yep. And he did something else recently that I forget um, that was equally big. Like this is a guy who is he's broken like all of the big things in the last like 10 years. He's basically the journalist of the 21st century. One of the last actual journalists. Yeah. And he's, he's been canceled and vilified and fired. And he actually lives in like, uh, in, in Mexico. He moved. Oh, and he's been called okay. every, yeah, he's been called every name in the book. Um, he's been called a homophobe and a racist and, you know, an anti-Semite. And I believe he's, I know he's gay, but I think he's actually Jewish. He may not be Jewish, but I believe he is too. It's like standard, typical stuff. You know, you get called names and none of them make any fucking sense. Um, you have Barry Weiss who she wasn't fired, but she, uh, went out she in a, a small small blaze of glory from New York Times because they they <laughs> were censoring the shit out of her. Um, who else? You have Matt Taibbi, who was fired um, from his own, his own organization. He left a company and started his own news place, and then they fired him. Oh, you still there? Zoom froze Hello? us out. If you can hear me, I can't hear you. Yeah, one second. I can see your face. Nothing's moving. I got a frozen bow. Come on, Zoom. Bring it back. Oh, there's some movement. Back. There we go. We're back. Got, okay. Okay. Got okay. It. Got it. Um, Keep going. Matt Taibbi. Yeah. So Matt Taibbi, like, uh, I believe he was the one who was either fired or left a, a news organization, started his own, and then they fired him for being too radical. Whatever the fuck that means. Right. Um, because he was calling out shit that should be called out. I mean, there's a few others that are escaping me at the moment, but all of uh, uh, Andy No is another one. Yep. He's an on the, he's like an on the ground uh, reporter. And he's been basically the only person who has done near as I can tell any actual credible research on, on the ground protesting or rioting. It's what it should be called. Right. Specifically Antifa. Yeah. yeah. Basically all of the video that you see of any burning building in the West coast by Antifa has <laughs> been taken from him. That's not entirely true. There's plenty of people who have video of it, but like he's basically every night he's in Portland, in downtown Portland, witnessing the shit. He's been assaulted like two dozen times. He's made like 300, like he's made probably close to a hundred complaints to the um, uh, assault claims and complaints to the police. They've responded to none of them. He's gotten, he's gotten death threats galore. There's literally graffiti on walls and shit in Portland that call for his actual murder um he's been yep. doxxed multiple times his family's had to move because he has a wife and multiple kids um yeah he, he was uh um he was actually found out in a room he like partially infiltrated antifa and was in like a rally of theirs inside and they figured out it was him i'm not quite sure how um because he had a, ma a black mask on um my inclination I feel a little bad saying this, but my inclination based on the video that I saw where he, cause he got beat up pretty badly um, is that he was the only Asian person I could see. I do it. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, for my recollection and so my, my, my thought is that maybe they all were like, we know Andy knows Asian. Um, we know he doesn't like us and he's around, you know, Could be. is this you? Yeah. And um, cause with the mask up past the nose, it is kind of hard to tell like full facial features, but you know, any, anyways, whatever the case. All it um, takes is one asshole to reach out and pull that mask down. 
and go, oh, yeah. it is him. Let's beat him up. Like, well, that's what happened is they were like, are you Andy? No, like whatever. And, you know, then someone like pulled his master. I mean, he might have pulled it down. I forget. It's been almost I saw that video, but then he got his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like Chris Rufo is another one. Um, Andy known Chris Rufo happened to be conservative leaning both uh, openly. And so that presents its own problem. Um, Basically, no just look for him. the journalists that everybody hates. If they are fleeing yeah. for their lives, I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah, that, that's really a big part of it. It's, it's like I, they're the ones who are least trying and, and conservative or otherwise. Like, uh, I don't think any of the other I think Barry in particular is quite liberal um, and she's been like yep. openly liberal. Um, yep. And I believe Glenn uh, is also very liberal. Um, but, you know, they've all been vilified and, and ostracized by mainstream. And it's like, but they're the only ones who are actually doing any of this shit. You know, and yeah. um it's like I, everyone else. It you talked about how like Fox News and then uh, now Rachel Maddow was like you know we're just a we're a um, entertainment entertainment yeah, and it's like on one level, it's like on, as far as I can tell, the only level is it it's their um, sidestepping culpability for people's actions. Oh, yeah. They can push they they can push what they want to push on their show. And then when people take it as truth and do something about it, they're like, well, it's not on us, which isn't any better to me than what social media platforms do when they say we're not culpable for all the bad shit that happens on our platforms. They're smaller. And I'm not entirely sure if like where the legal boundaries should be. But it also is irritating to me. Like it's like if you're especially like with Fox News, like. If you're going to call yourself Fox News, you're going to call yourself like a news station. It's in the this name. Fo- <laughs> it's in the fucking name. Yeah. Like this isn't Fox Entertainment. If it was Fox Entertainment, that's fine. Yep. You can watch Tucker Carlson for his entertainment or Sean Hannity or whoever the other people are for their entertainment. But it's news. Like you, you, you go watch it for the news. And I'm fine if it has a conservative lean to it. That actually doesn't bother me personally. Some people don't like it. I don't care. I would like to have a little bit of a lean on both sides so I can kind of see how they spin it and make my own personal rational decision. That's yep. um, actually the main reason I actually like Tucker Carlson is that he seems to try and d- do a good job a lot of the time at, at what I'm what I'm uh, um, explaining. I don't think he does it perfectly, and he's definitely he's got his theatrics. Yeah, so sure. don't get me wrong; he's got his he's got his problems like anyone else, and so he's not my favorite. But um, he's got a few least, things right, though. Uh, credit works. At, at least yeah. like that. Yeah, at least like that. He attempts to do that. And so, if there's someone I listen to on that show, it tends to be him. Though it's not often. I don't really listen to the news ever at all. But um, yeah, I don't like the sidestepping of the culpability. It's like if you're gonna show, if you're gonna profess that you're somehow helping the public with all this shit, then you need to own up to it. One would hope. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you don't see that. Of course you don't, you know. It's um, big money, man. I mean, you know, you got advertisers you don't want to piss off and yeah. All the same corporate shit. I mean I don't know how Rachel Maddow gets away with it. She's a fucking journalist. Like she's literally she's a reporter and a filthy journalist. Filthy fucking actual, rich. Yeah, that's her actual fucking job. Doesn't matter, dude. She said that show for a long time. We're talking big yeah. real money. I know. Don't, and it's don't like, fuck that up. Yeah. I I read her book, um, fuck what's it called it was about uh oil doesn't matter she wrote a book recently about oil and about uh, rex tillerson and uh um sh- not chevron but uh 
maybe it was Chevron, I don't know, whatever company he was the CEO of before he went to work for Trump and them getting together with China, uh, China with Russia to like drill oil in the Arctic and like all that kind of shit. Um, good book. But I hear this and I'm like, well, how much of that was bullshit? Was that supposed to be somewhat factual? Was that all entertainment? Yeah. Because I would actually like to learn about how corrupt and how uh, and how the oil industry thinks. And I thought she did a very good job of explaining that. And she was very left biased. Like it was very clear to me that she's left leaning. Just reading the book. And, and that's fine. I don't care. Um, but I really liked how she portrayed it and, and, and how she showed it. And I thought it was it was definitely well written. She's, she's very well written. And but now I'm sitting here thinking like, well, that book that I read that I thought was kind of factual might just be completely bullshit. I guess you would have to know the reputation of the editor from the publishing company. Like when the manuscript got out of her hands, landed on some editor's desk, who is that? Are they trustworthy? Yeah. Are they, you know, are they, are they particular about actual facts? Do they do fact checking? All the all the stuff we take for granted. Um, but if, yeah. if they're doing that, then I imagine there could very well be a difference when she writes a book versus does her show. Like, you know, the book's got to go through an editor, so that's all legit. Her show, she gets to write herself, so it's just entertainment. Possibly, I don't know. Yeah, that's very, very frustrating, though. It's um, We're going to see, and we've seen this a little bit already, but I think we're going to see, like, this growing underground movement of rebirth of real journalism. Yeah, well, you know, to that end, I would uh, suggest all the listeners find somebody on Substack that you want to support because it's it's tools like that that are going to make it possible. You know, yeah. go go uh, go sub to Matt Taibbi or Barry Weiss, and uh, keep supporting the folks that are out there still doing the real work. Because yeah, yeah, it's so fucking important. I mean, we've talked about it before. It. It's a big, big deal. It's enough to kill a democracy if that's important to you. Yep, very, very true. So that's all I. That's all I had. Actually, I had one other thing. Okay. I figured I, I would end what I have to say on this. What I thought was a very fun, fun note. Um, the so the first person who was fully vaccinated in Britain recently died. Oh. Um, and uh, that's not the funny part. <laughs> that, uh, that that is not the funny part. The funny part's coming. Um, and uh, and they so they'd actually found that he had had antibodies in his system for up to ten months, which is cool. The funny part is that his name and this the shit you not was William Shakespeare. Oh shit! I think I did hear about that. This was. A few weeks ago, or a couple months, or something, right? It, but like, I think it was a month or two, oh, about a month yeah, ago. He died. Yes, yeah, yes, that's right. Um, that is a good note to end on. Shakespeare is dead. <laughs> yeah, not only, but he was also the first COVID vaccine recipient yes. in, in, in in England, which is hilarious to me. That's right. I, I have to imagine they tried to find somebody with that name. I can't imagine it was just happenstance. <laughs> that that just seems too uh, too on the nose. Uh, I wonder yeah. how how that linear or just the name Shakespeare. Like the surname Shakespeare, how many Shakespeare's are there? I wonder. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to know. Um, hmm. Definitely would be curious to know. All right. Well, on that note, Shakespeare is dead. Subscribe to somebody <laughs> important on Substack, and uh, hug your friends. Have a good rest of the day, everybody. Peace. <laughs> Take care.